Welcome to Christ Community. So glad you were joining us online. If you haven't heard, we are beginning our in-person worship services September 12th and 13th. We will have a Saturday service at 4 p.m. and then two services on Sunday morning, one at 9 and one at 11. Masks will be required in the building, but we will also have an outdoor lobby for people who want to connect with each other. There are more details about that on our website. And of course, we will continue our online service for those who prefer engaging in that way. Several years ago, I attended a vocal worship conference in the area. I was leading worship at our church at the time, and I really wanted to grow in this area. So I was all excited about this conference with this Christian professor who taught vocal performance. I even paid extra to sign up for a one-on-one vocal coaching session with this person. It was like the chance of a lifetime. So I'm on the front row taking notes, and after the first session, I'm like, I don't really like this guy. And after the second session, I'm thinking, he is a jerk. And after after my afternoon one-on-one session with him, I was like, I'm out of here. I don't even know if I want to do ministry anymore. I mean, I couldn't believe someone in Christian leadership could be such a self-absorbed jerk. And not long after that, we had a a worship conference at our church, and we invited a guy named Paul Balash. He was amazing. His sessions were life-giving. I was inspired as a worship leader. So later on, I thought about those two very different experiences, and I I wondered what, what made the difference. Both of these guys were Christian musicians, Christian leaders. So why was I repulsed by one and inspired by the other? Well, it didn't take me long to realize what it was. It wasn't content. It wasn't communication ability or musical ability. It was humility, humility. This vocal coach was so full of himself, so condescending of others, it made me want to puke. On the other hand, Paul Balash was refreshingly vulnerable and authentic. I was inspired. I mean, it's funny. Humility is not an attribute that gets talked about much in terms of influence or leadership, but it is something that we intuitively value. We are drawn to and inspired by people of genuine humility, like Abraham Lincoln, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela. There is something innately attractive and influential about people of humility. But it was not always this way. In fact, in the ancient worlds of Greece and Rome, humility was viewed as a negative thing. The Greek word for humble meant, meant um, um, made low, and that was not a value. In, in, in the Greco-Roman perspective, a person's primary goal in life was to gain honor for themselves. It was to lift themselves up. So leaders in the ancient world, the Caesars, the emperors, and kings were all about power and, and uh, domination and self-promotion. But all of that changed with the appearance of a rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus. Both Christians and secular historians agree that it was the life and person of Jesus that completely shifted humanity's understanding of and appreciation of humility. So today, Christians and non-Christians alike admire people who are humble, and we don't like people who are proud. That huge shift in attitude is the result of Jesus showing us a different way of living. Now, here's what's truly fascinating. The first text in human history, in human literature, that connects greatness to humility is the text that we're looking at today. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul articulates the value of humility 
in our relationships. As we saw last week, Paul writes to the Philippian believers, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, we read that and we think, oh, that makes sense, right? But we have no idea how revolutionary these words were in that culture. No one up to that point in history had written about humility in this way. To embrace humility as a value in relationships was so countercultural. Now, what Paul does in this passage, after urging us in verses 3 and 4 to walk in humility, what he does is then describe for us the person who caused this humility revolution. In one of the most beautiful, powerful passages ever written, Paul describes the humility of Jesus. And in doing so, he literally summarizes the entire New Testament. Our entire belief system as Christ followers is articulated in these six verses. And so, so I want to read this passage. And if you are able to close your eyes in a posture of reverence, I would encourage you to do so. Not only reverence for the word, but also for the one this word beautifully describes. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Now, the challenge in teaching a passage like this is that there really is a twofold purpose in Paul's word. So on one hand, there is the urging in verse 5 for us to pattern our lives after the example of Jesus, to adopt a mindset, a posture of humility in our relationships. But then you also have this unbelievable description of who Jesus is and what he has done and the reward that is his because of it. So, so I hope that I can capture both of these facets of this passage. I don't, want it to, I don't want to make it all about us when it really is shining this brilliant light on Jesus, but I don't want to ignore the implications for us in terms of how we live our lives. So in this passage, Paul shows us three specific ways that Jesus demonstrates humility, three characteristics of humility. The first characteristic is being secure in your own identity. Being secure in your own identity. So in describing Jesus, Paul says of him in verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. See, Paul is describing here the foundational truth that Jesus is God in his very nature, and he has always been God. Even before he came to earth, Jesus existed in the form of God. Now, I know this, this kind of stuff is, is hard for our finite minds to comprehend, but that doesn't make it less true. Jesus is God. The New Testament uh, repeatedly affirms this. I mean, one of the reasons that Jesus was crucified 
was because the, the, the religious or the Jewish leaders, because the Jewish leaders accused him of blasphemy, claiming to be God. So both his disciples and his enemies understood that Jesus claimed to be God. But what Paul emphasizes here is what Jesus did with his position as God. He didn't cling to it as something to be hoarded and used to his own advantage. In other words, he didn't let his power go to his head and try to use his power to show off his power or to gain more power. No, Jesus was totally secure in his identity. This is a mark of genuine humility. A humble person is, is secure in their own identity. They don't have to fish for compliments or tell you how gifted or smart they are. You know, when, when someone has to interject into a conversation some comment about their own accomplishments or their own expertise or their own knowledge or their, their, where they went to school or whatever, they're doing that for a reason. It's because they don't feel secure in their identity. So they need to let you know how successful or how busy or how gifted they are. They need you to affirm that because they aren't secure in their own identity. I heard a story about Sir Edmund Hillary, who in 1953, along with a Sherpa mountaineer named Norgay, became the first climbers to have reached the summit of Mount Everest. And after that, Sir Edmund Hillary became quite famous um, and well-known. So during one ascent years later, a group of climbers recognized him, and they asked if he would join them in a picture, in a photograph. He said, of course. And so uh, this group of people, they gathered around him, they kind of posed for this photo, and someone handed him an ice pick to hold for the photo. And so he, he, you know, so he grabbed the ice pick. Well, right then, a person was walking by, a person was walking by, and, and not knowing who Sir Edmund Hillary was, they said to him, you're holding that pick all wrong. And they went over and they actually turned the pick in his hands. Now, Sir Hillary had every right to power up and say, do you know who I am? I know how to hold a pick. I climbed Mount Everest for goodness sake. I was using a pick before you were picking your nose or whatever. You know, He had every right to point out who he was, but he didn't. He thanked the person and then he posed for the picture. He didn't need anyone to know who he was because he was secure in who he was. A humble person is secure in their identity. They don't have to let everyone know who they are or what they can do or have done or whatever. Now, now for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, Jesus gives us our identity as beloved sons and daughters. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. We don't have to earn people's acceptance and accolades. We are accepted by Jesus, which frees us to live and to love like Jesus. Well, that leads to a second characteristic of humility as demonstrated by Jesus, an eagerness to live for the sake of others. Last week, I quoted C.S. Lewis, who defined humility not as thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. The, the, the implication of that is that if we are thinking of ourselves less, we are thinking of other people more. Now, I love how Author John Dixon defines humility. He says this, humility is the noble choice to forego your status and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. In other words, humility is to leverage your power and influence for the sake of others. 
which is exactly what Jesus did. Look at verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus, in his position as God, had every right to be served by all of creation. But he chose instead to take on the nature of a servant, and he did this in the most incredible way. He became a man. Paul says here, being made in human likeness. Paul is describing the wonder of the incarnation that God chose to become one of us, to become man, to take upon himself all the limitations of being human. I mean, when Jesus became a man, he suddenly experienced hunger and thirst and indigestion. He went to the bathroom. He slept. He walked from one village to another. He experienced exhaustion and stress, things that he didn't experience in heaven as God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He chose to become a man. And here's Paul's point. That choice was an incredible demonstration of humility because of why he made the choice. He did it for us. He leveraged his power and influence by becoming a servant of all, by becoming a man and living on this broken planet, experiencing what we experience in order to provide a way for us to find life and forgiveness and freedom. Jesus became a slave in order to set us free. That's how he leveraged his influence. So how about you and me? How do we leverage our influence? Do we use our power at work or our position at work to gain more power, you know, to, to order more people around? Or do we leverage our power for the sake of others to elevate them? I was even thinking about this as it relates to our church. I mean, we're, we're one of the larger churches in, in this community, but my heart is not that we leverage our resources just so that we can get bigger I want us to leverage our resources to help other ministries and churches succeed. I mean, that's my heart, but it is not always easy. Whenever there's a, church, a new church plant in town, I know we're going to lose people. We're going to lose people. We're going to lose people going to that, who, who, who choose to start going to that church plant. And in my flesh, that frustrates me. Um, but when I view this through a Jesus lens, I realize this is awesome. This is awesome. We get to pour into another church by having some of our people go there. I mean, that's a kingdom win. The issue for me is what lens am I going to look at this through? The lens of, you know, our church's numerical success, you know, as measured by the world. Oh, look at us, you know. Or through the lens of Jesus' success as measured by humility and leveraging our resources for the sake of others. Are we as a church... Are we as individuals leveraging our influence for the sake of others around us? That's how Jesus lived, and that's how he empowers us to live. Well, the third mark of humility as demonstrated by Jesus is this, a submitting of our will to our heavenly Father's will. Humility is not about asserting our will. It's about surrendering to God's will, even when it's really costly to do that. Look at, look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Paul is emphasizing not only Jesus' death, but the way Jesus died. He died on a cross, which was the most humiliating, shameful way to die in that culture. I mean, to hang naked 
on a cross for hours, fighting for every breath, while others just gawked and stared and mocked. I mean, total humiliation. And here's Paul's point. Jesus chose this. Jesus chose this. He chose the cross, not because he wanted to endure suffering and humiliation. I mean, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed, God, if it is possible, take this cup from me. If there's any way I don't have to do this, let me know. But in that wrestling, his heart ended up saying to God, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's humility. Saying yes to God's will, even when everything within us wants to do our will. I mean, notice the word Paul uses in verse 8, by becoming obedient to death. Obedience. That's humility. It is to choose to obey God even when we don't want to. It is to trust his good purposes, his heart for us, rather than our desire to escape pain or pursue immediate pleasure or whatever. I mean, it's hard to trust God with our, our sexuality, for instance, to say no to our desire to fantasize or to lust or to engage in sex outside of marriage or whatever. I mean, that's difficult. Everything within us, everything in our culture is screaming, go for it, you deserve it, no one will get hurt. What a lie that is. (laughs) All sorts of people get hurt. Choosing to go outside of God's will in our sexuality is an invitation to bondage, to shame, to the erosion of trust, the destruction of families and marriages. The personal and relational devastation of disobedience in this area is huge. You see, the humility of Jesus is an incredible example for us. He chose obedience to God the Father, even when it was really hard to do so. Now, here's what is so cool. Paul doesn't end this passage right there. He he suddenly shifts gears to focus not on Jesus' humility, but on God the Father's response to Jesus' humility. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus' humility resulted in exaltation. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Every knee will bow. Every person one day will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and is worthy of all of our praise and our love and our obedience. Now, now I want you to notice two things here. First, there is a biblical principle that Jesus exemplifies. As, as, As 1 Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, just as Jesus was lifted up in response to his humility, God promises to lift us up in response to our humility in due time. It may not be exactly when we want it, but our choices to live a humble life to leverage our influence for the sake of others, choosing to obey God, even when it's really difficult to do so, those choices will pay off in the long run. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Walk humbly with your God, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, which is the second thing I want us to notice. Paul's words here are not simply an exhortation to try harder, 
you know, to live more like Jesus. No, these words are to be an inspiration. The more clearly we see and fix our hearts on the Jesus that Paul describes here, a Jesus of humility and love and sacrifice for us and glorious exaltation as Lord, the more we, we, we fix our eyes on, on Jesus is described here, the more fully he is able to live his life through us. Let your heart be captivated by this Jesus. Let him inspire you and fill you and transform you to live a life of humility, to share in his sufferings and also his glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you help us do that? We ask you to open our eyes and our hearts. Help us to see you in all of your humility and glory. Jesus, thank you that even though you are God, you did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather you made yourself nothing. You took the nature of a servant by becoming one of us. Being made in human likeness, you humbled yourself. You became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you for doing that for us. And we acknowledge that you are exalted to the highest place and that you have been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that you, our Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We want to follow you in humility. We ask for your help in doing that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.